you turn to John chapter 16, and I want you to see that our Jesus, the one whom we serve and follower, declared himself to be an overcomer. Jesus was and is an overcomer. And uh, the expectation there is that if we're going to follow him, we have to follow him in overcoming. We can't be a true follower of the Lord Jesus if we allow the world around us to overwhelm us and to overcome us. We have to follow Jesus in his, into his victory. One scripture says that he has gotten us the victory. Jesus has gotten us the victory. Uh, he overcame and he gave his victory to us. Romans uh, chapter 8 says that we are now more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. Didn't say we're going to be once the Antichrist is defeated and once the devil's put down and then we'll be overcomers. No, it says we are. Amen. He has already made us that. It's in our nature to overcome. It's not in your nature as a believer to be a quitter. It's not in your nature to hightail it and run. Cowardice is not, is not Christian. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says the cowardly are going to have their part in the lake of fire with the murderers and the, and the adulterers and, uh, and the liars. I mean, you know, it's a sin to be a coward. Courage is a, is a mark of an overcomer. Courage is, describes overcomers. And in John 16, 32... Jesus says, and he's speaking, about, he's speaking about the last days, he's speaking about the end times, uh, and, in, and especially as it related to those people alive at the time he's speaking. This is 2,000 years ago. This is a generation that's long gone by. But he says to them in John 16, 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, so he's not talking about our time. He's talking about their time. And he says, The hour cometh, yea, is now come, right now, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. See, you're never alone if Jesus is holding you. You're never alone if the Father is with you. And then he said in verse 33, <coughs> These things I have spoken to you, that, or in order that. He said, I, I'm telling you this, so that you, in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Everybody, everybody's looking for the, the tribulation, the great tribulation. Well, you, you know, forget about that. You got enough tribulation. Jesus said sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Quit worrying about a seven years tribulation that you're not supposed to be a part of anyway. Worry about, you know, the tribulation of today. Not worry about it, but, you know, you've got something you've got to deal with now. We have something we have to deal with now. So quit worrying about 
the seven years tribulation and wondering who the Antichrist is. The spirit of the Antichrist, according to the, the Apostle John, is already at work in the world Amen. and has been. Amen. It was the spirit of Antichrist that tricked Adam and Eve into sinning Amen. in the garden. Anything that is anti-God's anointing and anti-God's God's agenda and anti-God's son is antichrist. We know who, the, we know who the, the, the root of it is, and that's old Lucifer himself. And, uh, and so he's been trying to overcome mankind ever since mankind was introduced in the universe. He hates men. He envies us. He wants our position because God has made us a little lower than himself and he's made us in his own likeness and Satan is jealous of that. Satan can never be what we are <clears throat> and he hates us for it. And Jesus said in this world, in, in this world system, this cosmos, uh, this culture, this this human realm of human activity, we will have trouble. So if you're trying to escape trouble, you are, I got bad news for you. It's here. And he says, but be of good cheer. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Be cheerful about it. You know that that's a choice. You can be grumpy about it, you can be fearful about it, or you can be cheerful about it. Why should I be cheerful about tribulation? Well, he says why. I have overcome the world. He says, in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Don't let it, don't let it stop you because I've overcome the world. And in him we are overcomers. Then <clears throat> jumping all the way to close to the end of your Bible, 1 John, the epistle, the little letter of 1 John, chapter 5 and verse 4, the Apostle John reveals that <clears throat> if you are in Christ, if you are born of God, you are an overcomer. He says, for whatsoever is born of God this is 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. See, faith is a powerful force. Faith is a force that enables you to overcome the world. That's pretty powerful. Verse 5, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So there's no question about who the overcomers are. The overcomers are not the Democrats or the Republicans. The overcomers are not the white hats and the black hats. The, whole, the overcomers are not the communists. They're, they're not going to overcome. The socialists are not going to overcome. They're, they're, God has very carefully and explicitly stated overcoming belongs to those that believe in Jesus. And do you believe in Jesus? Then the Bible, the Word of God, the will of God, 
has declared you to be a world overcomer. 1 John 4, 4, he's talking about, in 1 John 4, 4, he's talking about the Antichrist spirit that is in the world. He's talking about uh, demonic spirits, principalities and powers, th those kind of spirits. And he says, you have overcome them. You have already overcome them. Amen? Amen. Put up 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The them there is the, the spirit of Antichrist and all of his armies. Because why? How, how come we overcame him? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So throughout the, the, uh, the, the gospels and the epistles, we are, we are portrayed by scripture as overcomers. Now look in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, in, in the second and third chapter of Revelation, we have, we have seven letters that Jesus dictated to John, the apostle, and told him to write these letters down and send them to the seven churches that were in Asia. By the way, these are the, these, this is the same people, the same area, the same region that First and Second Peter are written to. Only it's about twenty-five years later. So when we when we look at First Peter, we're we're looking at we're talking to these people uh, twenty-five years before Revelation. So they are about to go into some trouble, and in Revelation, Jesus is showing them he's showing them the the end of the trouble. And and, and to these seven churches. Uh, he, he, Jesus uses what we call sandwich psychology. You know, where you have two pieces of bread and you have some meat in the middle. Y'all know what a sandwich is? We have er the Earl of Sandwich to thank for that. He made the first hoagie or something. I don't know. And, uh, you know, uh, when you talk about sandwich psychology, it means you, you, you start off saying something really complimentary. You compliment someone on what they're doing well and what they're doing right. And then the meat is you, you're correcting a fault. You point out to them something that's negative. And then you follow it up with that other piece of bread uh, by giving them hope and a promise and a blessing. And so that's what Jesus did to all seven of these churches, Philadelphia, Ephesus, Sardonis, uh, uh, Jacksonville, Amarillo, you know, whatever. And, and he pointed out to them what they were doing well. And then he pointed out to them what their fault was. He'd say, I have, some, I have ought with you in this area. And demanded repentance, and he demanded that they correct it. And then he would make a statement like this. Look at Revelation 2.7. He did this to all seven churches, by the way. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, each one 
he, he called upon each one of these groups of people to overcome their fault. And then he, he would give them a promise. One church, he said, I'm going to give you a new name written in a white stone. You know, I mean, he, he, uh, to another, he says, I will, grant to, I will grant to you to sit with me in my throne. And so he, he, these are glorious promises, glorious promises. In other words, Jesus said, I'm going to share my glory and my wealth and my position with you after, if you'll overcome. But the expectation there was that they would overcome. God expects us to overcome whatever life throws at us. Amen. You're going to have trouble. But what's, the, what's God's expectation? That you overcome it. He's put in you a, a mandate and a, a DNA that will not allow for defeat. You have to, you, you, if you're going to be one of his, you have to get back up and keep on going and win. Overcome. You, you are an overcomer. Now, how many of you are convinced that that's who God's called you to be, an overcomer? All right, I want you to turn to somebody, and I want you to boldly declare to that person, I am an overcomer. Say it with conviction. I am an overcomer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, seven times in, in the book of uh, uh, Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And then uh, Revelation chapter 12, and uh, Irene put up the Passion Translation for this. Revelation 12, 11. In Revelation chapter 12, we see the saints of God Already, they're already in heaven, and it, they're described as an innumerable host. In other words, they, there's so many they can't be counted. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of, when you can't count them, that's a lot of people. Right? And, and they're in heaven, and, and they, uh, they have this testimony. In, in uh, Revelation 12, 11, in the Passion Translation. Now, in, verse, in verses 9 and 10, it's talking about the accuser of the brethren. Talking about how these people warred against the accuser of the brethren. That's the devil. And Revelation 12, 11 says this, They conquered him completely through the blood of the Lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. They conquered the devil. Not they're going to, but they did. See, when you get to heaven, God wants you to have this testimony that you overcame the devil with the blood, by, by putting your faith and confidence in the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus, his sacrificial blood, and the powerful word of his, of his testimony. Not your testimony, his testimony. If you could sum up his testimony in one word, what would that word be? It'd have to be Jesus, right? You know, and isn't Jesus the summation of your testimony? So everything we have, we have because of Jesus. Everything we have, we have in Jesus. Everything we do, we do through his power, through his authority. 
And uh, Jesus said this in Luke chapter uh, 10, I think it was Luke chapter 10. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So, you know, uh, Jesus gave us the same power that he used to overcome the devil. He gave us that same power that we might trample. That means to trot it down under your feet or conquer it. That's what a conqueror does. He tramples his enemy under his feet. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the same power. You have the power to go forth and conquer and to overcome. We have the power of overcomers. And so the, uh, Revelation 12, 11 says they conquered him completely through the blood of the Lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. See, God's called you to conquer Satan completely. Where? Well, first of all, in your own life. And then in your family. And then in your community. And then, you know, let, let that victory just radiate from your own victory. Amen? God's called us to be more than conquerors through him that loved us. What does that mean? More than conquerors means he did the work and you get the prize. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a prize fighter. He gets in the ring, puts up his dukes and starts pounding away at his opponent and both of them get the bloody noses and swollen eyes and bruised ribs and but they go at it until one of them wins. And the winner, you know, they hold his hand up, and he's just standing there staggering around, you know. He's all bloody. He's all beat up and everything. But he's the winner. He's the victor. And they give him this big bag of money. And he goes home to his wife. She meets him at the door. He's all swollen-eyed, all lock-jawed and bandaged and beat up and, and sweaty and just, you know, could barely walk. And he hands her the purse. He ends her the bag of money. You see, he's the conqueror, but she's more than a conqueror because she got it without shedding any blood. And that's what Jesus has made us. He conquered, and he made us more than a conqueror. We're his bride. He's Rocky, and we're Wilma. Amen? Adrian or whatever. Oh, that, that was, uh, oh, yeah, that was uh, Fred Flintstone. Okay. He's at the door. Wilma, let me in. Okay. You don't want to be Wilma. You want to be, you want to be uh, uh, Adrian. Okay. Sorry about that. Now, First Peter. Turn to First Peter. Praise God. First Peter is, uh, is the book uh, about, the Apostle Peter uh, uh, strengthening the saints in Asia that are about to go through some really horrific persecution. This is right before Nero started his purge of the Roman, Roman Empire trying to purge out the Christians. I mean, they, they, were, uh, they were looking to forward, they were looking to some of the greatest, darkest, times of persecution the church has ever known. It was during that time that 
Paul was beheaded, and Peter did not survive it. And, uh, and during that time, most of the apostles uh, were martyred during that, that period of time. And uh, now John survived it supernaturally, miraculously. John survived it, and he's writing about, he's writing about the tail end of it there in the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, 666 was the number of Nero. And he didn't, call, he didn't name Nero in, in Revelation. He didn't name Nero because Nero was still alive. And it would have brought, you know, even, even greater persecution if he had named him. So he uh, called him other things like the beast, you know, and things of that nature. And, uh, but he was speaking, he was speaking allegorically. And that was a style of writing that they used a lot back in those days. And, uh, but I'm not getting into the revelation. I'm just talking about these are the same people that went through all of this. And so Peter is trying to strengthen their hope by reminding them of the grace of God that is in their life. He tells them that there's an abundance of, of grace. He says it's multiplied to you. And uh, that's found in, in, in the first verses. So let's, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 for just a little bit. And in, in chapter 1, we see uh, this whole theme of overcoming. It's found, it's found here throughout this chapter. And, uh, and I'm just going to label this as, you know, the marks of an overcomer. And First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, uh, elect, chapter 1, he just gives his credentials, an apostle, Peter, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 2, he tells us who he's, who he's sending it to. The elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. He's telling these people, uh, let the grace of God and the peace of God increase in your life. Let it multiply, because you're going to need it. Now, grace is God's unmerited favor. We know that. That's kind of a standard definition. But grace literally means the, the, the infusion of God himself into your daily life and circumstances and how it, re, how it is reflected in your life. So it's, it's, it, grace literally means God comes and lives through you. God comes and he lives through you. And that's power. There's power in that. Amen. There's super duper power in that. If God himself, if you are just simply a glove that God wears, <laughs> there's going to be some awesome things happen, right? Awesome works. Because he's God. And then he says, in the, in the peace of God, the word peace uh, doesn't just mean the cessation of trouble. It means, it means prosperity and abundant supply in the midst of whatever's going on. So in this sense, peace does not mean there's not going to be tri tribulation. It means you're going you're to have everything. You're going to have that. You're going to be in that bubble in the midst of that tribulation, and that bubble is a place of quietness, calmness, and uh, um, 
peaceful meditation, even though the storms are raging all around you. And I know that many times in your life, you've felt yourself in that place, in that bubble. I know I have. In some of the, in some of the most, uh, most awesome, awful, horrendous times of my life, I've been amazed at how peaceful I felt and how protected I felt. And the people around me think I'm insane because, you know, if they were going through what I was going through, they'd be, you know, they'd be screaming and hollering. And I've had them actually tell me, Pastor, I, we don't understand. How, how can you be so calm? Well, it's that peace that's multiplied to us. It's four times like that. Amen? So, you know, when, uh, when you are in the midst of a, a struggle and a trial and a heated battle, you need to requisition more peace. Amen. Say, Lord, I know that there's peace to be multiplied to me for this time. And I know that your grace is here for me for this time. And, and it will make me an overcomer. See, the grace and peace of God multiplied to you is what makes you overcome. You don't want to be in a peace and grace drought. Can you say amen? Amen. So you want, you want to be an overcomer. Uh, also in this chapter uh, 2, uh, verse 2, 1 Peter 1, 2, uh, Irene, put up the tr Passion Translation for 1 Peter 1, 2. You'll see, you'll see the, the Trinity in this verse. You'll, you'll see the Holy Trinity. When we say Holy Trinity, who are we talking about? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. See, the whole Godhead, that's all who God is, is involved in you being set apart for this grace and peace. I want you to see it. And it's, it's pretty vivid in, in the, the Passion Translation. It says, you are not forgotten, for you have been chosen and destined by Father God. There's the Father. You've been chosen and destined by Father God. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones. Obedient followers of Jesus Christ, who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. You see, the Father God is the one who selected you, chose you. The Bible says you're chosen from the foundations of the world. Now, you become accepted by him when you, when you accept that he chose you, when you accept his invitation. Amen? Jesus died for the whole world, but not the whole world accepts that, but to as many as receive him. John 1, 12, as many as receive him, gave he the power to become the sons of God. So we're, we're you know, the God the Father has determined that you be in his family, and the Holy Spirit is the one who sets you apart, and that's that word sanctification. He set you apart and made you holy ground. And we're going to read here in 1 Peter, we're going to read that scripture, you know, that uh, you are a chosen generation, a, a peculiar people, a holy priesthood. All right, that word holy means that you've been, you've been separated for 
uh, a holy purpose. You've been made sacred ground. You are sacred ground. The Holy Spirit's the one who, did, who, who determined that. He set you apart from the world as holy ground, his ground, to the point that he intends to dwell in you. And that's where the blood of Jesus came in. The blood of Jesus entered in to cleanse that holy ground, to cleanse us and make us temples fit for the presence of God to dwell. So it's by, by, the, by the actions of the Father to, to select us, the Holy Spirit to separate us, and the blood of Jesus to cleanse us, we've become the receptacle of God, the tabernacle of God, the temple of the Holy Ghost, for God to come and, and manifest His grace and peace. Amen. Amen? None of our doing. It's all by faith. It's all about we choose to be a part of it, and he does all the work. Can you praise the Lord for that? Amen. Then verse 3, 1 Peter 1, 3 in the King James says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to God's abundant mercy, he has caused us to be born again unto a lively hope. Now that word hope there is uh, Strong's number 1680, Elpis, E-L-P-I-S. Turn to somebody and say, Elpis. Say, I'm full of Elpis. That means hope. But notice, notice this is no ordinary hope. The, the definition of Elpis is confident expectation based on solid certainty. Let me say it again. The hope that God has caused to be birthed into you is a confident expectation based on solid certainty. You see, what we hope in is absolute and certain. You know why? Because it rests on God's promises. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it, and will he not also do it? Amen? What God has promised to you, we are certain and confident that he will perform it in our lives. So if God says, I am with you, I'll never forsake you, I'll never leave you, I will be there for you, and I, am, I have made you a victor, an overcomer, and more than a conqueror, then we have hope and a certainty. You see, God is a certainty. Now, a lot of folks, you know, when they talk about matters of faith, they talk about religious beliefs and whatever, and, you know, you tell them, you know, God heals. I hope so. But you can tell by looking at them, they're not confident in that. They're not confident because they're not basing their, their hope on the Word of God, the promise of God. But see, the Bible says God has exalted His name, of, uh, his, He's exalted His Word up above His name. I think, what, what does that mean? It means that God, God will kill Himself before He breaks His Word. 
God will bust a gut making sure he keeps his promise to you. <laughs> if it were possible for God to bust a gut. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? You understanding the words that are coming out of my mouth? You have a live, that's lively hope. That's a living hope. Our, our hopes are not about to be bashed against the rocks. Our hopes are not about to be uh, frustrated. You see, uh, Romans 5, 5, it says, says that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart to give you, uh, uh, let's go there, Romans 5, 5. I got, I got to get it right because you're going to see it up behind me. And Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The word there, hope maketh not ashamed, that word ashamed means disappoint. See, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because God's poured his love into your hearts. You are convinced that God loves you, and that gives you an, an unembarrassed hope. Whew. So if God tells you something, if he tells you he's going to do something, it's not an empty thing for you to hope for it. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know what that means? Faith is what you do because you have hope. Faith is an action. Faith is you acting on your hope. Why? Because your hope is, is, uh, is based on a solid certainty. Praise God. Now that, that's worth you being here this morning. Amen. I did a better job explaining that to you than I did Wednesday night. So I'm getting better. Praise God. Now, uh, look, in, look at 1 Peter 1.18 in the King James. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, that, that simply means your empty lifestyle. Your useless, the useless way of living received by tradition from your fathers. How many of you had fathers? You know what you got from your fathers? Trouble. <laughs> that, that's why I tell people Christianity is a culture of its own. When you accept Jesus Christ, you leave your father's traditions and your father's cultures and your father's sins. And you are adopted into the family of God, Jesus being your elder brother, and you partake of a whole new culture. Amen. Now, my family came from Scotland and Ireland. And... Uh, on my mother's side, they, they got kicked out because they were part of a conspiracy to assassinate the king of England. And they had to flee the country. And when they came to Ellis Island, they asked them what your name is, and they changed their name to king. So the kings 
were based upon we tried to kill the sucker. You know. Yeah. And on my dad's side, you know, they were Scotsmen that went over to Ireland and conquered Ireland and then got hung up on the potato famine and had to come to New York as indentured servants, slaves, until they worked off their, their debt. And so, you know, uh, that's, but, you know, everybody knows that Scottish people are stubborn and obstinate. And, you know, and then the Irish, you know, God, God allowed the Irish to invent whiskey because if they weren't drunk all the time, they would have taken over the world. That's what they say. But the Irish are brawling, you know, drunkards. And that, that was the cult. That's the culture I came out of, assassins and drunkards. And you know what, folks? On St. Patrick's Day, I don't go around. I don't go around waving the Irish flag. I'm not proud of that culture that I came out of, because it was a culture based on sin. Not to get political, but I can't stand these people that, you know, that come to the United States illegally, and demand that we take care of them. And then when they have their parades, they they wave the Mexican flag. You know. Go home. Leave that culture. Leave that culture and adopt our culture or just stay there. Amen. Amen. That's the way I feel about it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And that's the way I feel about the kingdom of God. If you're going to be a Christian, then adopt the Christian culture and forget about whether you're an Irishman or whether you're uh, Afro-American or whether you're a uh, Asian American or half all those hyphenated things, you know. And and listen, folks, I feel the same way about Texas. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian first, and uh, and so you know. We're listen. It's not an option. If you want to be an overcomer in life, you you've got to live your life in Christ. And that means you adopt his culture. And all these things you blame on you being German or you being Italian or you being whatever, you, you, you got, that's just an excuse for you to fail. You're just making an excuse for you not to overcome. But God's called you to overcome all those, all those traits, all those inherited traits. Oh, well, it's just in my DNA. Well, no, you've been born again into the kingdom of God. You have a new DNA. Hallelujah. Amen. You've got a, you got a God DNA. Whew, praise God. So he says, you, you haven't been redeemed by silver and gold, but you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. You see, the overcomer is someone who puts his faith and confidence completely into the blood of Christ. And everything is based upon what that blood does. Amen? That's why in just a few minutes we're going to take communion again. Because it's all because of that blood. And, and you need to get that down into your thinking and down into your heart that you are an overcomer because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb. 
You are an overcomer because of the blood of the Lamb. The overcomer also trusts in the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 and 5 says, You are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You are kept. Everybody say, I'm, I'm kept. How many of you know what a kept woman is? A kept woman is a woman that's some guy has decided he's going he's gonna to take care of her. He's going he's gonna to keep her. That means whatever she needs, he's going to provide it for her. Is that right? Is that what a kept woman is? A kept woman is, I mean, that woman, she don't have to do nothing. She don't have to work. She don't have to sweat. All, she's got, all, all she needs to do is just want stuff, and he'll get it for her. Isn't that right? Well, how would you guys like to be a kept man? Amen. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, the Bible says we're kept by the power of God. That word kept, okay, is, is Strong's number 5432, in case you're taking notes. And it's, it's, uh, it's the Greek word P-R-O-U-R-E-O. Prurio. And you want to know what it means? It means shielded and protected. As in uh, the military term of implying a sentry standing guard. A sentry standing guard. You are shielded and protected by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. Need I remind you who that is? That's God. Who is standing guard at your door? Who is watching over your life? Oh, I have a guardian angel. Yeah, you do. You've got hundreds of them. But who is given the responsibility to keep you safe, to keep you protected, and to keep you supplied? Who when the assassin comes to assassinate you, are they going to meet at the door? The Holy Ghost. God himself. Who can overpower the Holy Spirit? Who can outthink the Holy Spirit? Who can outmaneuver the Holy Spirit? You are, you are kept by that power. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah to that. So how many of you are trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit? All right, turn to somebody and say, I'm an overcomer. <laughs> Amen? Now, now look at, uh, oh, man, I'm running out of time. How many of you believe that uh, Jesus radically changes a person? You know, I'll notice when I read the scriptures that uh, everybody that ever came in contact with Jesus changed. Everybody, including the Pharisees. They, the Pharisees got meaner. Right? But they did change. I mean, when Jesus came along, the Pharisees changed. But 
we always we always want to focus on the people that were changed for the better. Amen. You know, like uh, Mary Magdalene. Yeah. You know, she was she was a woman of ill repute. She had she had demons in her, seven. And Jesus cast seven devils out of her, forgave her of her sins, healed her of all the effects of it, and, and made her one of the most beloved women of the New Testament church. What a change. Amen? Amen? Well, the overcoming, the overcoming believer believes in, in that change. First uh, Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation means lifestyle. Holy lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, we believe as overcomers that Jesus Christ in our lives enables us, no matter how unclean we were, no matter how sinful we were, no matter what we were into, once we come into him, all things are new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are new. All old things are passed away. Amen. Verse 21 says that we even, we even become the righteousness of God in Christ. That word righteous means right standing. We're made right with God through Christ Jesus. So no matter how wicked you were, no matter how sinful you were, no matter how hell-bound you were, the entrance of the grace of God and the entrance of, of the blood of Christ into your life makes you holy. So you overcome what? You overcome your former life. You overcome your former, boy, y'all got quiet. It's almost like you don't believe it. Why are you so quiet about it? That's shouting music. No matter what I was, when I came into Christ, I overcame it. Jesus in me overcomes the liar I was. Jesus in me overcame the addicted person that I was. Jesus in me overcame the horrible person that I used to be. I am not like that anymore. Hallelujah. I remember listening to my dear friend who's now going to be with the Lord, Ron DePriest. And Ron DePriest was telling me what a wicked man he was before he met the Lord. And he told me things he's never said from the pulpit. Things that he did to people. He was the worst kind of person you can imagine. But he was smart enough that he used it and rose to the top of his sinful profession and became a leader in it. 
He was vice president of the Hells Angels Association and their chief enforcer. He was their assassin. He told me about the people he assassinated and how he did it and other things. And I'm listening to him, and I say, you know, Brother Ron, if I had known you before you got saved, I wouldn't have had anything to do with you. I would have called the cops and said, lock him up and throw away the key, which they did, by the way. Liberal Democrat Governor Brown gave him a pardon and set that killer free. And it was after that that he got saved. I mean, what a story. I mean, he's got a had a tremendous testimony. But I've told him, and I've told other people when I hear their testimony, I'm sure glad I didn't know you back then. My other friend, James Maloney, had an encounter with the old Ron DePriest up in the woods in California one time, and he said he had nightmares for years over that one encounter with Ron DePriest. He said he had, to, he had to have deliverance. He had to have supernatural deliverance over the, over the trauma that, that came on him just in one encounter with that guy. And then he said one day he went to a church service and there he was up there preaching. He couldn't believe it. He didn't want to believe it. But the Lord spoke to him, see what my grace can do. You see, we as believers, we believe we can overcome our past life by faith. By faith that Jesus can radically change a person. Amen? You know, I've good case in point is uh, Donald Trump. We heard all the stories about what kind of person he used to be. You know, a womanizing, foul-mouthed, hideous individual. You know, uh, and all those things were true. And he never denied it. How can you deny it when, it, when they've got recordings of it? You know, video of it. And uh, he never denied it. But one day... James Robinson stepped onto his airplane and led him and his whole Trump family to Jesus. Pray the sinner's prayer. And I believe they changed. I believe it took. And so I am not going to uh, reject him because of his past. Now, he's not, he's, not, he's not completely matured. How many of you were a perfect Christian the day you got saved? Some of you are still working on it. Others have quit, gave up. But, you know, how many Christians have condemned that man for his past. 
I've heard preachers from the pulpit say he's not worthy to get my vote because of his past. Well, then the Apostle Paul wouldn't be worthy to be his pastor either because the Apostle Paul murdered Christians. We have written proof that he was there when Stephen was stoned and he was the one who gave permission for those guys to stone him. Actually held their coats while they stoned Stephen to death. He was, he was not just a witness. He gave the permission. He was the officer. He was the officer of the Sanhedrin that gave them permission to execute Stephen. And yet later on in Paul's writings, he said, I have wronged no man. I have hurt no one. How can he say that? Because he overcame the old man. The old man died and the new man came alive. I believe in that. That's why I can look at anybody and say, I don't care how bad you are. You can become great in God. Amen. Amen. Well, I need to stop there, but uh, I'm going to have the uh, uh, usher bring the communion element in, and we're going to we're going to celebrate once again how the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, it makes all the difference. And while we're passing out these elements, I want to give you an assignment. Everybody gets a homework assignment today. Are you ready? I want you to find one area in your life. One area in your life that defies the uh, label overcomer. One area in, don't, don't look at your spouse, don't look at anybody around, but I want you to find one area in your personal life that has resisted you uh, overcoming. And, I, and I, I want you to find it. I want you to put your finger on that. And then as we partake of this blood and this body of the Lord Jesus, I want you to declare that in that area, in that one area, you're an overcomer. Amen? I don't care if it, you know if you know you have a problem with a sweet tooth, and you just can't for some reason break the habit of eating a gallon of ice cream every night before you go to bed. Pastor, why are you saying that? Because I've been there. Okay, <laughs> I've been there. I know. I know what. I know how powerful that that is. But I want to be an overcomer where Bluebell ice cream is concerned. I, I want to be an overcomer. And I am, by the way. Praise God. I haven't had any Bluebell in weeks. <laughs> With you, it could be something more serious. Maybe an impure thoughts. Maybe it's... Uh, you can't help but be a liar or cheat or, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to judge you, but there's just some area in your life where you're not victorious, where you're not portraying yourself as an overcomer. 
And when we eat the body and drink the blood of the Lord Jesus this morning, I want you, based upon the power of that blood, I want you to declare yourself an overcomer. And then this week, every time that thing pops its head, I want you to remind it, I am an overcomer, and I have overcome you. Amen? And stand your ground. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Boy, I think, I think by next week we're going we're gonna to have some, some truly victorious people with smiles on your faces because you you've spent the week kicking the devil out. Amen? Lord, we just lift up this bread to you now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that your body was broken so that ours could be healed. And we declare where sickness, disease, physical and mental infirmities are concerned, by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. I am healed. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by His sacrifice for me. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's eat together. And then let's take the, the emblem of his blood. And Lord, by your blood, we are free from our former lifestyle. By your blood, we've been delivered from our inherited cultures with all the encumbrances and bondages and idiosyncrasies and sinfulness. And we've entered into the culture of the Lord Jesus himself, becoming like him, holy. Lord, your blood makes me holy. Your blood cleanses, purifies, and washes away my sinful past. Your blood multiplies grace in my life. Your blood brings peace and righteousness to me. And I receive it by faith. Amen? Let's drink together.